Happy Sunday, church. Happy belated Thanksgiving from our team here at Antioch Austin. I would say that it's good to see your face, but I'm looking into the lens of a camera. I can see four or five faces in here. Y'all are looking pretty good. Weibel, especially you this morning. Um, and if you're wondering who is this face on my screen in my living room this morning or on my phone this morning, if I am a new face to you, uh, my name is Chris Pletcher. My family and I, we just moved here two months ago from College Station. That's right, an Aggie transplant living in the land of the horns. All things to all men, hook them. I have been known to cheer. Don't tell any of my buddies back in CS, but... You know, just trying to be a part of the city here. Uh, my wife and I, actually, I went to Texas A&M, and um, my wife and I started our family in College Station. We've been married 11 years. We had five kids while we were living there. We were a part, actually, a part of Antioch Community Church in College Station for the last 10 years, on staff there for the last five. Uh, it really, College Station is home and family to us. But earlier this, this year, uh, God began inviting our family on a new adventure. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been really just like settled in your comfort zone, really just cozy, planted in your season, and then God begins to say that one small little word that can change it all. He just starts to whisper, go. We had actually never had that happen to us before, but God began to tell us to go earlier this year, and not long after that, uh, started having some conversations with J.D. and Chris Otts, and um, after God had invited us on a journey, they ended up inviting us to come to Austin and join the team here, and I just got to say, uh, we are really pumped to be in this city. We feel so clear um, just that God is on the move in this city. He's called and invited us just to be a part of what he's doing here. Uh, but we've been on a wild housing journey. I just want to share this story that my family and I have been on here. Uh, we actually moved here without a home, all right? Um, not because we wanted to or because uh, that's a good idea for anybody, uh, but because God had invite us, invited us here and had invited us to be here in October. And, you know, I, I actually did try to sell my house really hard for a couple of months. And the timeline just uh, was a little bit different than what I had been hoping for, um, but you know what? We came, and God opened a door, and he made a way, and it's kind of like God calling Abraham out of the land of his fathers and telling him to, to go to this land that he would show him. You know, Abraham had to camp along the way in several temporary spots before he landed in his permanent home, and I want to show you a picture here of my family. We've been on this journey together. We've lived in four houses in the last eight weeks with our five kids, so here's the Pletcher family and my beautiful wife, Arlena. She is the superhero behind this whole crazy circus operation, and my five beautiful, my reward from God, my five precious children, that's Caleb on your left, our twins uh, down there on the middle and right, that's Hudson and Levi. Holland is our little princess. She's three and a half, our only girl. And then that is uh, baby Brooks there in Arlena's arms. He's about 10 months old, just in a couple days. Um, and we've been on this wild journey, guys. That was taken right before we left College Station. And since that picture, we have lived in three different houses here in Austin. Man, talk about getting acquainted with the city. We lived in Mueller uh, for about a month in the Weibel's old house, rented there. We got to move down south by the airport. So if you're a South Austinite, we, hey, I, you know, I used to live there, you know. And, <laughs> and then now we live up far north in Leander. Um, and, uh, but guys, good news this morning. After all this sojourning, searching high and low throughout North Austin, guys, God has given us 
a home. And we are fired up. We close, Lord willing, this Friday, all right? So we'll turn the corner into this next week and, and start to pack up again for our last move. So, hey, just unashamed plug, you know, if you're free next weekend on the 5th, you know, my back is broken from moving so many times. So come help a brother out. But um, here's two things I want you to know about this testimony about this house. Uh, number one, many of you guys have bought homes in Austin and uh, it's been a wild ride, the multiple offers, writing the letter, the whole deal. Um, here's a couple things I want y'all to know. We weren't even the highest offer on this deal. Um, God gave us a home. He actually, the, the owners of the house, the sellers of the house were so moved by the letter we wrote, the story. We shared a little bit about this journey of our family moving around the city. And they were so touched by God that even though they had a higher offer by at least six to $8,000, they picked us. And the second thing is that God gave us a house that is just right around the corner from JD's house in Pflugerville, all right? And the odds, so, I mean, talk about God putting a needle next to a needle in a haystack. I mean, we shopped over all of North Austin, and the Lord gave us this house. And um, we're, really, we're really excited to be here. Honestly, what carried our family through the wild and crazy journey, and honestly, what's been a very difficult season of transition for us, uh, what, what carried us through and what is carrying us through, we are not out of it by any means, uh, can be summed up in one word, uh, and that is the word hope. And as we kick off our Advent series and as we begin to remember the first coming of Jesus, I want to invite us to reset our hope this morning on the next coming of Jesus. We talk about hope. We talk about a confident expectation of goodness coming in our future. Hope is a completely future-centric reality, and it occurs any time that we find joy to endure the present by setting our sights on something in the future. I'm going to say that again. Hope occurs any time that we find joy to endure the present by setting our sights on something in the future. Hope, by its definition, is unseen. It is unseen. Check out Romans 8, 24 through 25. It says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You guys, hope by definition is unseen. It is, it is future oriented. So think about it. We've all been there a hundred times. We look into the future to something we cannot yet see, but we know or we hope is coming, and it brings us some kind of relief or motivation or joy in our present circumstances to keep moving forward, right? Hope propels us through the often mundane and monotonous rhythms of life by giving us something very simply to look forward to, right? I mean, there's no way I could have moved three times in the last month and a half and not absolutely lost my mind unless I believed it was temporary, y'all. I knew that something better and lasting was on the horizon. And one of my favorite Bible teachers says it like this, what you think about the end determines how you live in the middle. And can we just 
take a moment to acknowledge that we are living in the middle this morning, church, that the circumstances we find ourselves in, the season we find ourselves in, the challenges we feel around us, guys, God is not done. This is not the end. If it's not good, God's not done. We know that we are not yet at the end, but how we think about the end will determine how we live and how we endure in the middle. This is why we've got to have our hope securely found and securely placed on the right things. This is also why hopelessness is so crushing and crippling. Anybody ever been there? Felt hopeless? Here's why. Because hope attacks your present by robbing your future. Sorry, hopelessness. Hopelessness attacks your present by robbing your future. So I feel like today what God wants to do is teach us how to see his future. He wants to teach us how to see with eyes of faith what is coming, to recognize we're in the middle. The middle night might not be very good. 2020 has been a beatdown. It's been brutal for everybody. And so, but where we are going and what is coming, if we can look ahead with eyes of faith, we can be the Romans 15, 13 kind of people. J.D. crushed this message a few weeks ago in our manifesto series on hope is our belief. And he wrapped that message up with Romans 15, 13. I want to look at it a little closer here for a minute. And then we're going to pray and ask God to do this in our body and in us today. But check it out. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Can we just be honest for a minute and raise your hand if you would describe your life in 2020 as abounding with hope? Or you would describe your current emotional state the Sunday after Thanksgiving as abounding with hope? If you got your hand in your living room, will you please come to my house and pray for me later today? Okay? Now, I don't think abounding in hope would be the first descriptor that many of us would use for ourselves. I certainly would not use it for my current emotional state in the midst of this transition, y'all. But check it out. Isn't it encouraging to know? Let's get that verse back up there for a second. That we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. That should encourage you. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to abound in hope. But also, we have to believe. That's why hope is our belief. Because it says that he would fill you with joy and peace in believing. Say it with me in your living room this morning. In believing. Hope is our belief. You see, if you don't believe, you won't abound in hope. If you don't have your hope in the right things... Your faith will suffer and will waver. There's this inseparable connection between belief, between faith, and between hope. The fact is, if we don't have much faith for the future, our hope's going to be crushed. If we don't have much hope in what's coming, we're not going to live with much faith right here and now. And I want to show you, before we pray, one last verse Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is such a well-known scripture to us, but check it out. The inseparable connection between faith and hope. we got to get this this morning. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not 
seen. Do you see it? Do you see it? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith and hope are married together. I believe this morning God wants uh, to open our eyes of faith, church. He wants to open our eyes of faith so that we can see what is coming, what we do not yet see, and we can be a people that abound in hope in these last days. Y'all pray with me, all right? Father God, we ask that you would do something this morning in our hearts. You would, you would bring a revelation through your Holy Spirit and through the word of God that would awaken a biblical hope within our hearts that would strengthen us to endure these days. God, your plan for your church in these days is not to be confused and skeptical and pessimistic, but it's to be abounding with hope, to be abounding with faith, and to be excited that you're on the move. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So before we dive too much deeper into this faith and hope message this morning, I just want to bring you into my story a little bit. It's my first time to preach here in this house, and usually we don't care that much about what someone has to say until we believe they're a real person just like us and uh, they have a real story, real wins, real losses, real struggles, real victories. And so I just want to testify of Jesus in my life here for a second. And maybe you'll find out why I'm, I'm so obsessed with this message of, of hope. But uh, I'm 38 years old, so Otz and JD got me by just uh, one or two years here. Paget man's got me by a couple decades, I think. I'm not sure. But... Um, <laughs> 38, 38 years old, guys, and really my life can be divided right there in the middle of the first 19 years of my life and the last 19 years of my life. So I just want to give you a little flyover, but really the first 19 years of my life, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up um, in, a, in a Christian family. Um, really the first 19 years of my life were spent trying to find purpose and pleasure and joy by what Proverbs ca uh, calls the way that seems right to a man but its end leads to death. So basically what that meant is without any uh, biblical or moral compass from God, I just did what I thought felt good and seemed right and looked good, which is the way that seems right to a man, but its end is in death. And um, I had no concept of following God, just kind of this broken internal compass uh, that told me to live for myself and do whatever felt good. And, and y'all, honestly, by the time I was in high school, I was so broken, so insecure, so trapped in sin, just miserable. And um, honestly, on the outside, I looked like I had it all together. I mean, I was a pretty decent, you know, athlete. I was a smart kid, did well in school, you know, dated the pretty girls and kind of had it all together on the outside. But on the inside, um, I was a bit of a train wreck, a broken kid from a broken family. And uh, I would say that my hope, though, was very secure at that point, uh, very secure in my ignorance. You see, at 16, as kind of a good-looking, popular, smart kid, I thought the world was my oyster. And so my hope was completely in what I thought I was going to get out of the world, right? So athletic success or success in school or college, career, dating the, the pretty girls or whatever it was, I was having a pretty good time in my ignorance looking forward to all the things of this world. And then when I was 16, I met 
Jesus, and he completely ruined it all. I was having a great party in my ignorance by myself until I went to a, a summer young life camp uh, after my sophomore year of high school, and for the first time in my life, I heard the story of Jesus, how God had created the heavens and the earth, how he created man and woman to be in relationship with him, and how we had separated ourselves from him in our rebellion and in our sin, and how that was the underlying reason for all of the deep brokenness that we had felt, but God wasn't content to leave us in our brokenness, but he had been speaking for thousands of years, reaching out for thousands of years, calling us back for thousands of years, culminating in sending his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for all of our sin and brokenness and to restore us. This great re restoration plan of God that, was, that culminated in Jesus. And I heard that message for the first time in my life at 16. And it was like somebody put language to all the deep brokenness that was in me and pointed me to a solution pointed me to a savior and I can't explain it but in one week my whole outlook on life changed and by the end of that week I was convinced that God loved me he wanted to restore my life that Jesus died for me and that knowing him was why I was alive but you know restoring a train wreck ain't that easy y'all can I get an amen anybody else out there all right Young Life did an amazing job of connecting me to God, but not as great of a job connecting me to God's family. You see, you don't take a child out of a traumatic home situation and just set him or her loose on the streets, right? It's not going to end well. Nobody does that. No, we rescue children from traumatic situations and we adopt them into loving homes where they're actually tethered to a healthy family and they begin the long process of rehabilitation and healing. And y'all, this is the church, man. That is the picture of what the church should be. Man, God is rescuing people out of brokenness, out of trauma, out of sin and bondage, but he's not just connecting them to himself. He's connecting them to his family, which is why the body of Christ, the family of God, the church is so critical. And that is actually what transformed my life. You see, for the next two years of high school, though, I actually kept going downhill. I, yeah, it got worse before it got better. And then my freshman year of college at A&M, by the grace of God, I hit rock bottom, surrendered my life to Jesus, and God surrounded me with the people of God. And it was in college that I began to experience the restoration and the renewal and the rebuilding of being connected with the family of God and being rehabilitated in his, in his family with his people. And it, it changed me forever, y'all. College ended up being this incredible season. So the last 19 years of my life, that, that's where 19 was. I started following Jesus there at college in 19. And the last 19 years, I, I've been all in for Jesus and his kingdom and after meeting Jesus, I, uh, at 26, met my amazing wife, Arlena. I, the, the relationships that have shaped me the most have obviously been with Jesus, have been with my wife, have been with our five kids, being a father five times over. And then honestly, meeting the people, the Antioch tribe has been a life-changing thing for me. But I share all that to say, um, all of us have these stories, guys. All of us have these testimonies. And if nothing else I hope that you're reminded that God is still saving people. He's still rescuing people out of the most tragic of situations, and he's bringing them to himself. We all have these stories, and none of us are exempt 
from the beauty and the brokenness of life in the in-between, where we're at right now. But I think there's a common thread that pulls us from story to story, stay with me here, this common thread that pulls us from mountain to valley, pulls us from season to season, from tragedy to restoration, and it is hope. Hope is one of the most natural and normal human emotions. We're going through something hard and we look ahead to some point in the future where we believe we will have relief and it powers us through whatever mud we're trudging through. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you were looking forward to Thanksgiving? How many of you guys were looking forward to a few days off and some feasting? Now, how many of you would keep your hands up if Thanksgiving completely satisfied every desire that you were hoping it would? Most of you are probably sitting here on a Sunday morning going, man, what am I going to hope in now? And many of us have already set our sights on something new a couple weeks down the road, right? It's Christmas now, right? We're looking forward to Christmas. It's like, what's going to pull me through now, right? How many of you college students, you've just been looking forward to the end of the semester, you're like, if I could just get through this next final. How many of you young adults, you're really looking forward to meeting your spouse, getting married one day, right? And then how many of you married couples, you met your spouse, you got married, and you realized, wow, uh, it didn't fulfill all of my hopes and dreams, right? And so, well, maybe kids will, right? And so we're kind of young and married, and we're like, we're hoping for when we can start our family. We're hoping we can have kids, right? And we're looking forward to that. And then you have five kids, and you're like, whoa, slow it down, Lord, you know? And you're just hoping for a weekend away from your kids, you know? And you're like, this is exhausting. And then you're an empty nester, and all your kids go away, and you just hope they'd come back, you know, because you miss them. And then... COVID's going on and your Thanksgiving plans get canceled and it's like, is there really something firm and solid that we can hope in, guys? Is there really something ultimately that we can rest that, that need for fut- future hope? And guys, all these things, they are fine and good and beautiful things to hope in, right? But I believe we're going to see uh, in the word of God this morning that God is inviting us to anchor our hope further down the road, to anchor our hope somewhere else, frankly, in something much more certain than these things that we've been talking about this morning. So once you turn in your Bible with me this morning, we're going to dive in. I know I've been sharing quite a few stories. This first half of, half of the message, just kind of sharing some stories. This next half, we're just going to soak in some scripture And so I want to encourage you, grab a pen, take some notes, write these verses down, because here's the reality, you guys. Um, I could actually crush it this morning and preach an amazing message, and if you just kind of nod your head at the screen and then move on with your Sunday, it's probably not going to do anything to help you be a person that abounds in hope, all right? But if you will take these scriptures, I'm just going to give us a lot of verses, honestly, take these scriptures chew on them this week, ask God to give you a revelation of hope, then I believe that this, these next few days ahead could actually just change the way you see your future, change the way you see what's coming for the rest of your life. And so I want to encourage you, grab a pen. The first place we're going to be is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. We doing okay in here, guys? Yeah. We all right? We doing all right in your living room? 
You're not tired of the sound of my voice yet? If you are, that's fine. Just stand up, you know, jump it around a little bit, loosen up, maybe, you know, just kind of slap your cheeks a little, wake up. Um, you know, watching church from home is, is, is uh, it's a funny deal, man, but God wants to do something this morning, so let's not miss it. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Check it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here it is, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Are you guys seeing here again the intermingling between this, this living hope that we have been born again into, this living hope, this coming salvation that's ready to be revealed even though now in the in-between we're grieved by various trials there is a day coming there's a day coming when Jesus will be revealed and even though we don't see that day yet even though we don't see him yet we believe and we're our faith the eyes of faith they're fixed on something we cannot yet see there's a few things here in first Peter 1 that I I feel like we really need to hear this morning. Number one is there really is no living hope without a born-again experience. And my testimony can, can attest that I did not have a living hope before I was born again through faith in Jesus Christ and, and had the miracle of salvation happen where my, my, as the Bible talks about, my old heart of stone was removed and I received a new heart. The Holy Spirit came into my life and, and because a living Holy Spirit came into my life, my hope became a living hope in Jesus, not this temporary hope that I was pursuing Maybe for some of us this morning, we're searching from hope, and step one for us is we need to, we just need to be born again. You can't have a living hope if you haven't ever invited Jesus to bring you to new life through his cross, through his resurrection. And, and the second piece is that there really is no born again experience without the resurrection of Jesus. We see that born again to a living hope through his resurrection. But what I want us to see here is how the biblical authors, they're like pushing us forward. Do you see that? They're pushing us into the future. They're pushing us to this inheritance that's kept in heaven. They're pushing us to this Verse 5, this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Are you seeing it? They're pushing us forward. Verse 7, it says that, that a day is coming where all of our trials and the testing of our faith will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. 
Now, I know we're in the Advent season and we're celebrating the first coming of Christ, but I believe in these days it is essential for our hope that we begin to anticipate and expect the second coming of Christ. This isn't an end times message this morning, but this is a message about hope. And if we don't understand how this thing ends, right, it's gonna affect how we're living here through the middle. It's gonna affect how we're able to endure and press on through the middle. We gotta know what's coming. Do you see how Peter is shifting our hope further into the future? This is what Hebrews 6 calls the anchor of our souls. He's trying to anchor us onto a living hope. You know, it's so funny how when the wind and the waves start to pound, you really discover if you're anchored or not. I think 2020 has been a wind and the waves year for every single one of us, and I think in the middle of all the shaking, all the shaking, there's the mercy of God maybe revealing where we've tried to anchor our hope on the wrong things. And I believe there's an invitation this morning to anchor our hope further in the future, this living hope, this living hope. And he gets us there in verse 13. Check it out. Here in 1 Peter 1, this is kind of where this first chapter culminates. He says, therefore, preparing your minds with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his, at his coming. The ESV says it differently. I want, I want you to hear this. The ESV says this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Fully, fully. Set your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus. And so again, there are a lot of things in between now and then that they're good and fine for us to hope in. But the biblical invitation to hope is that we anchor our hope fully to the revelation of Jesus. We're not finished yet. We're not at the end yet. We're in the middle of the restoration of all things, the Bible calls it. And we are seeing that thing worked out here on the earth and we got a ways to go, but we know how this thing ends, right? It ends as Habakkuk 2.14 says, and if you don't have this verse memorized, part of my challenge for us this morning is to find some anchor verses of hope that will actually clarify the future that we have coming, guys. We need to see the future that we have coming, and in Habakkuk 2.14, this is the future we have coming, church. It says the earth will be, hold on, the earth, guys, not heaven. Heaven's already filled with the glory of God. But on earth as it is in heaven is coming, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You guys, this was the great living hope that Jesus was getting into his followers. It wasn't that they were waiting to float up into heaven one day. They were waiting for the day that heaven was coming to earth. Guys, we're waiting for the restoration of all things. We're not waiting to die and float into ethereal heaven space. We're waiting for heaven to come to earth because the kingdoms of the earth are gonna become the kingdoms of our God. And we're gonna get here in a couple more scriptures here in a minute, but we need to understand, church, this thing ends really well. And we win because Jesus is the Lord 
of heaven and he is the Lord of the earth and he will come to receive his full reward and the kingdoms of the, this earth will be the kingdoms of the earth. Even if in the middle part right now we're grieved by various trials, our hope is anchored to the rock. The thing about the trials is if you're not anchored to the rock, the trials reveal that your anchor was on the wrong thing, which is actually mercy in disguise. There have been some areas in my own life where I'm like, wow, okay, man, I better, I need to get my anchor more on the rock because I was maybe leaning on this part of life that looked a certain way or that felt a certain way. Obviously, in my own story, I mean, guys, there is nothing in my life today that is the same as it was three months ago. I live in a different city. I have a different job. I drive a different car, actually. I have different friends. I go to different stores. I've lived in three different houses. I mean, everything for us has been moved and shaken. And so it's like, what are we going to anchor to, Lord? And he's like, you're going to anchor to my presence. You're going to anchor to my word. And you're going to anchor to this living hope. You see, the trials, when I'm anchored to the rock, they just refine my focus. They refine my focus. They help me. What am I really hoping for? Romans 8, we read this verse earlier about hope that is, you know, it says, uh, who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. It's the same passage, you guys are probably familiar with it, that talks about how um, the creation, let's pick it up here in verse 18. It says, I consider the sufferings this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. For the creation waits in eager expectation. Guys, this is what creation's hoping for right here. This is what creation's expecting. The children of God will be revealed. Let's keep going. The creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. And here's, here's what I want to see. I want us to see. Guys, have you felt the groaning? Have you felt the groaning? Have you felt the groaning in the earth? Have you felt the groaning in yourself? Church, the sufferings of this present time are not worth to be compared with what is coming. Have you felt the groaning? Y'all, I have felt the groaning. I have felt it in myself. I have felt the unfulfilled longings, the unfulfilled desires. And here what I want, here's what I feel like the Lord wants to say in this passage is, don't take that groaning somewhere else. Are you with me? When we start to groan and long and the dissatisfaction of where we're at right now, it's, we're so quick to go say, well, then maybe I need this thing, or maybe I need this for Christmas, or maybe I need that deal, and we, and we go take our groaning somewhere else, but let me just tell you, what we're groaning for is the revelation of the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom on the earth. That is what we're groaning for, so give the groan to him. Give the groaning to him. I want to read a, a little quote. This book is called All Things New uh, by a man named John Eldridge. You might be familiar with. The, the subtitle of this book is literally Heaven, Earth, and the Restoration of Everything You Love. 
all things new. He's taking it from Revelation 21, where at the end of the whole story of Scripture, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. I mean, guys, we know how this thing ends, right? Can we lift up our eyes of faith? He says this about the groaning that I just felt was appropriate for this morning. It's so good. Listen to this. It says, The secret to your unhappiness and the answer to the agony of the earth are one and the same. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. That is the only hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of the world. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We are groaning. Guys, we're in the middle. Do not confuse the middle as the end. In fact, get your eyes up off the middle, off the wind and the waves. Lift it up to Jesus. Let him tell you where we're going. Let him give you a revelation of the end. Be filled with hope of what's coming so we can be an abounding in hope church, right? That's what we're called to be, guys. We're not called to be a confused, discouraged, distracted, pessimistic, faithless, lifeless church that's struggling in these days. I mean, I get it. I'm struggling in my own ways in these days. And God is saying, lift up your eyes of faith. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Guys, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to close this morning with this little conversation that Jesus had with, uh, with his disciples. Um, it's in Matthew 19. It's right after the story of the rich young ruler and <clears throat> this conversation about wealthy people entering the kingdom and you know you guys are probably familiar with the exchange he says you know the disciples say who can be saved and Jesus looks at them and he says well with man this is impossible with with God all things are possible and then um, Jesus the the, sorry that Peter looks at Jesus in reply and he says well Lord we've left everything and we've followed you what then will we have Jesus says to them, this is the context of this verse I want us to to read. He says to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I want to read it in a different translation. Let's go to the NIV if we can. We got a few of them up here. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones. Okay, let's get one more up there. He says, truly I tell you, oh, that's the same. The renewal of all things. I'm trying to get us a few different glimpses of how Jesus said to these guys, almost casually in passing, that there's a new world coming. That there's a renewal of all things. Because here's something that the disciples understood that we have lost. For the first century Jewish followers of Jesus, they understood that there was a coming kingdom, the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things. We have lost that hope. We have lost that sight. And I believe God is inviting us to resettle our hope, to dig into our Bibles, to let the word of God paint 
a future for us, to not be afraid of the end. Guys, I kind of feel like we need to repent for being afraid of the book of Revelation. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, man, Re- you know, Revelation is kind of scary. I mean, have you heard your friends say that? Man, it's just kind of intense. It's scary. Now, look, I'm, there's some intense stuff in there. There's no doubt about it. But the biblical authors are telling us to set our hope fully on what is coming. That's the revelation of Jesus. That's the renewal of all things. That's the restoration of all things. And so let's not be afraid, y'all. Let's lift up our eyes so that we can be a people abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The secret to your unhappiness and the answer to the agony of the earth are one and the same. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give to you the groaning of our hearts this morning, the aching of our hearts. This world is filled with so much potential. We can taste it. We can see the beauty in the midst of the brokenness, but in these days, it feels like the brokenness is just can be overwhelming, the pain, the sufferings of this present time. Lord, would you would you lift up our eyes in faith to see what we cannot yet see? Would you fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us with an abounding hope? Would you rescue the church in these days from being pessimistic and fearful and discouraged and distracted and let us raise our expectation for what you have coming on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven, we give you our groaning today. We give you our longing for your coming kingdom and we pray that you would instruct us in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.